Well, I still, I just tried, try to do it every day. Yeah. Do it every day. That's how you, that's how you, if you never want to work out, which fuck that, it's annoying. Just surf every day. It counts. What happens to you if you don't surf? I get real bad dandruff. (laughs) Do you actually? (laughs) Horrible. Really? Horrible. So when I've got dandruff, that means I'm not surfing enough? That's just science. Yeah. Oh my God. Welcome to The Drop on the Stat Podcast feed. My name is Danny Johnson and this week on the show, we've got no cusp and no interviews, but we do have, as always, Brandon Buckley, Big Dick Power Surfer, Stab's Editor-in-Chief, to talk us through all the surf news this week. Our top story this week, educated guess, Gabriel Medina is about to return to competition. Oh, Danny, did you really think you could get rid of me that easy? This is Mike from The Cusp, and I have an unfortunate update on the Gabby situation. Just after this podcast was released, the WSL announced that Gabby would not be surfing in Portugal and that his spot was going to be taken by current world number one, Baron Mamiya. So some of what Buck and Danny are about to talk about is no longer relevant, but a lot of it still is, so we're going to keep it in there. It does still seem possible, if not even likely, that Gabby will return at a later point in the season, but he will not be back for Portugal. Just wanted to make that amendment up front so you don't go into it thinking, oh, maybe there's a chance. Sorry, doesn't seem like there's a chance. Uh, Anyway, back to the show. We'll get into this story in a bit, but I just, I can't help but like when shit like this happens or shit like Kelly winning, I can't help but think of that series that's coming to Apple TV where the Drive to Survive people came and they're doing the, it's called Make or Break for them. They still haven't, they did the whole 2020 season, they still haven't dropped it. Apple hasn't even released a, or published a release date yet. But with this year especially, I know they're there, I know they're doing it, and if they get this right, I think it will be incredible. And if they get it wrong, then just shame on them because what a crazy year already. Yeah, you're right. There's a this this it's the dream for for this show. It's like it's like a wet dream for Shakespeare. It's there's so many things going on. There's so many subplots. The mighty man himself, Medina, coming back at this point. It's theater. It's incredible. It's theater. And the reason why, so I wrote this story, and the reason why I wrote it is there's just a few little signs out there. First, he said a lot more in the Portuguese version of his I'm going to take a break post than the English. He just, he didn't translate it word for word. The English was like a few lines shorter. Two things he called out in the Portuguese version. One, that he's been nursing a hip injury. And two, that he only mentioned Hawaii. He didn't say the start of the year. He didn't say this year. He just said, I won't be competing in Hawaii, mm. right? While we were there, we also heard he'd been nursing a shoulder injury, and we couldn't really confirm that. But anyway, there's that little bit. Last week, he posted a training video, and there's comments on there from his sister, from Miguel Pupo, saying, let's go. Miguel even said, you know, we're missing you on tour, like... Another little sign there, but the one that pushed this thing over the edge is that I got some intel and he's ordered a batch of boards from a shaper, Johnny Cabianca, with the intent to return. Incredible um, de- detective work, Buck. You've really come at it from multiple angles and sources and, and triangulated the, the, the world that is Medina right now. And, and I've got to say, I, I'm on board. I think you're right. I mean, I think it'd be so sick to see him come back for Portugal. We'll see. He hasn't said anything yet, but... You don't start training and order a bunch of boards and even communicate to your shaper that these boards are meant to return to competition if 
you're not intending to do that. I mean, who knows? Like, obviously, he's gone through some stuff, and you can't who knows what's going to happen you know maybe he'll decide in the end that he's not ready or he wants more time or he wants a full year but maybe then again he saw slater win and uh everybody crying everywhere and said i want to make people cry too let's do that like because i i think i think we're obligated to cry if he comes back and wins now like if he comes back and he wins the first event back like i think maybe i'll tear up i think i should i think it's like fair right oh i would i would recommend everyone weep uh, yeah. Weep gently, and if they, if he did take the if he did plan to take the year off, and then he looked at what's happened in the first two events, it's a pretty easy decision to to want to come back. Like, I imagine that he looks at John John and he's, as his only true competitor on tour, and John John hasn't started well. He's got a fifth and a seventeenth, and he's sitting tenth. And I don't think that, given especially that you can ditch two events, I don't think that he's in that much of a disadvantage. If anything, this tricky situation and the pressure of it could he could thrive in that and he could perform just as well as he normally does under pressure which is perfectly yeah well actually this year you'd only ditch one score oh no way yeah it's one before the cut one out of five before the cut and then five of five count after so the cusp guys i'm sure are able to mathematically break that down what that really means because i could see it work either way I'm like, uh, I don't. It's gonna be good or bad. I don't know. Those guys would have like some some proper takes on it, but like I can see it. Like, okay, does that make it better or worse for Flaky to continue with our dandruff thing here? Uh, <laughs> I've got to start listening to the Cusp, Buck. I highly recommend it. So only ditching one event, which compromises him slightly. But I mean, even last year he was winning the tour by so much that he voluntarily didn't go to Mexico, or maybe it was vaccine related. And he still came into the top five at number one. And then he had a year. He, his second year on tour, he had a horrendous start. He got a 25th, a 13th, and then another 25th in his first three events. And then he still came back to come seventh at, at the end of the year. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't count him out. I wouldn't count him out either. And when we, you talked about his rivals and John John being 10th, I mean, my other question is, does Italo Ferreira still surf? Is he still around? I mean, oh yeah, I forgot about him. I mean, he's he's pretty good. He's in seventeenth right now. He's got he's got a ninth place and a seventeenth place result. And I actually heard a hilarious story about there was just this um, this contest in Portugal this way of Carcavelos, and usually they do it. I guess they do it there sometimes. Sometimes at Nazaré, but it's all about getting tube. They just have a long waiting period and they wait for a day that like tubes are the only thing that's going to matter. And Somehow they got Marzo there. Um, Portugal is not close to Maui. I don't really know how they pulled that off, but he showed up and heard this amazing bit that he was surfing his heat in boardies or maybe gym shorts, actually. Either boardies or gym shorts against a guy who was wearing a hood. Wow. <laughs> yeah, he hates and, wetsuits. I know he, did, he used to do that in Western Australia as well. Everyone else would be wearing full suits. And he'd just be out there in boardies or, yeah, he's, he's basketball shorts or whatever he wears. Yeah, and I guess why that is even semi-relevant, I mean, that's great anyway. I'll rope that into any story we need because that's just information that the world needs to know. But uh, I heard he's also been, like I heard Italo is already in Portugal training, getting ready, all that, and um, was trying to hang out with Marzo. Marzo was just brushing him. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> trying to hang out. Like, go surf. He's like a fan. Like, obviously, who's not a fan of Marzo? And I think Marzo just doesn't really care about 
anything. Just wants to surf and probably eat some food. And so uh, Jim sh- just surfing in his gym shorts and blowing off world champs. <laughs> it's psychotic. Well, Buck, I loved your article. There's a lot of inc- you did. I mean, you did a lot of research, a lot of crunching numbers and, and mathematics in there. It was good. Did you expect Medina to come back? Is that were you ready to pounce on this story? It's funny because everybody's been talking about this year. It's like, oh, it's going to be a year without Medina. But then I don't think. And if he comes back and just adds to the madness, um, we're all going to cry. And don't be ashamed. Yeah, Kelly Kelly really has helped the male population that really aren't comfortable typically expressing emotions just cry and embrace the brethren. But I think Medina, I just wonder if he got in a headspace where he was post-breakup and you know when you start talking to yourself saying that you're going to completely live differently, like I'm going to, I'm going to stop drinking, I'm going to stop smoking bongs in the morning or I'm going to stop making World Tour competitors look like complete kooks if you're Gabby Medina. Two weeks later, you're back, you're back drinking, you're back doing those naughty things and you just, things are back to normal. But I, I just wonder if he quit in some sort of post-breakup haze that, that was just a short-lived emotion. Mm, yeah, yeah, you're always just a, a wild card after you break up of a of a relationship you just nobody you don't even know what to predict out yourself it's yeah just, have you ever broken up with someone and then shaved your head and 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 got an earring or something buck uh no but i'm not opposed to it i think you should ditch your wife and, and let's just see how crazy we can get uh, you know who else has an earring medina uh-huh yeah all right so all right i got Got some stuff to take care of then, huh? <laughs> hey Lou. <laughs> All right. Should we uh shall we get in? Oh sorry Lou, I didn't uh I was yelling for a thing as a joke. <laughs> <laughs> but we're gonna divorce. <laughs> for the podcast. Just wanna say what podcast. happens. We're- we're divorcing for the podcast and getting in. Save Barbuda. Why a wave you'll never surf on an island you've never heard of matters. So, title kind of sums it up. There's an island called Bar- Barbuda, uh, which you may have never heard of. And it's a wave that you'll probably never surf because it breaks only a few times a year. But it was sworn to secrecy for a while. Um, which is an inconvenient place to be when you're environmentally threatened. And so what's funny about this one is it's happening in a few different places over the world right now, places that like were kind of secret, low-key, never name the spot, never nothing. Like most surf fans would have seen the photos in the magazine or seen a clip, but it's all mysterious. And then they get threatened and everyone's like, here it is, here it is, help. It's wild that so many, it's happening simultaneously in so many different places. And I think what adds to it is a a couple of the places they're having, it's happening, some of the most picturesque waves you could ever see. Like this Barbuda place, I had no idea what it was called. I had no idea where it was. I mean, I would, I guess somewhere in the Caribbean, given the watercolor and people that were surfing there. But the images from that, from those sessions that everyone saw are so perfectly frozen in my mind as are the images of King Island ever since I first saw those, a wave in Australia that's currently under threat. 
these waves that just you can't help but remember forever because they're just so like just that crystal clear water breaking so close to shore that just those wedges it's it's the dream surf it's the utopia of surfing that you just didn't think could ever exist and those photos are it well you want to know something interesting about those photos specifically ones that we ran for this story i read the title before but paul evans wrote it we ran ryan miller's images one of which i think was a cover of stab at one point but they scored that trip it was incredible they got that point like just looking so pretty and so fun and so perfect and like you said the water just looks so enticing there and beautiful that miller who is a friend of the program just like dana white he actually shot i think a fair few of those of the water photos at least just fully nude (laughs) just dick out flippers on (laughs) which isn't that much of an extension from what he's normally wearing he's normally wearing a rainbow speedo so yeah so i I hope that little bit of information just now sticks with you every time you revisit those photos in your head you just think of the naked man shooting them have you ever got a dick tan buck does your does a dick tan the same way as the rest of your body because i feel like dicks already have a slightly different color to them I just think you need to train it a bit. I mean, I haven't gotten into it, but I would imagine that like if it hasn't seen the sunlight in pretty much your whole life, I haven't personally, but I have seen some tan, tan dongs mm. here on the beach in the summer. So I think once you kind of make sure it's comfortable, get it used to it, kind of roll into the summer a bit, uh, they tan up nice. Oh, yeah, yeah, you see some tan dongs over here. I knew you'd just, know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, this is the place for it. If you want to talk suntan and dicks, I'm in the fucking Mecca. All right, well, let's talk about these waves because this is this is a int- really interesting problem. Yeah, so we you mentioned King Island, we mentioned Barbuda, and then another place that's happening now is the west coast of South Africa. Uh, we just published a story on that as well. And that story kind of focuses on that weird, what do you do when a that weird feeling of like, what do you do when a spot that you've been keeping secret all of a sudden is under threat? Like you, you can't, how do you solve that problem? It's complex, right? Mm. Um, and so, yeah, it's really interesting. That wave or that, that's not even just a wave. That is a, a whole coastline. And if you look at it, like it's the same coastline would get the same swells like Namibia. There's a bunch of nooks and crannies and things like they, there's world-class slabs. There's, points there's crazy beaches like it's a surf surf rich zone Mm -hmm. uh twiggy obviously as a south african guy who finds really good waves he's been there a bunch john john's even been there mason ho but it has been this thing where like okay yeah come i don't think it's ever been like hostile to show up i think people are welcoming but it just hasn't been like hey this is this coast come everybody come here you know um but yeah it's interesting the barbuda one's really interesting too because I think the strangest element about it is that Robert De Niro is involved in the the attempt to basically override a, a long-standing law about the land being owned communally by the people to build a big private resort, golf course, casino, all that. I think you're way out of line talking to me like that. Him and another guy that has been like, donating a bunch to Sea Shepherd, which is just, how do you make sense out of that? Yeah, that's two pretty opposing uh, ideologies that he's 
holding in his own brain there. Yeah, yeah. So it's really interesting. Have you ever been to King Island? I never have. I, I'm desperate to get there. And ever since I first saw photos of it and, and found out where it was, it's it's always been on my list. But it's a tricky one because it's, it's quite expensive and you have to time it with you know, a fair amount of ocean activity. You essentially have to fly in a really small plane into a storm if you really want to score it properly. And that's why typically when you see uh, people do trips there, that they're often surfing by themselves. It's, it's, it's remote and it's difficult and, it, and it's expensive. So I haven't found my way there yet, but I'm, I'm desperate to, especially now that the, the thought that it's under threat from these salmon farms. I think that was like a, a you were obligated if you went there and you're going to write about it, for a while, there's like a good decade, maybe more in the Australian media, but I'd see it in the US surf media where you had to like kind of start the article with how sketchy the flight was. I guess you get there and all you're doing is surfing idyllic waves really close to shore in a really scenic environment. If you're going to try and put some drama on there, that's your only opportunity. That's all you got. Yeah. That's all you got. <laughs> Until now, I mean, I know John John and Dave Rastovich did a, a trip there purely to promote what's happening with um, the salmon farm and, and 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 trying to react against that and raise awareness. So there's a bit of drama, but just unfortunately like a, a horrible drama for anyone who likes to surf there. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of interesting like there is that, uh, you know how like Kanye West is kind of going crazy right now? Well, I think he's always kind of doing it and they always say, oh, he's got an album dropping, but he just goes on these weird little rants. Have you heard about that? Everybody says, who does he think he is? I just told you who I thought I was, a god. I saw a thing that like somebody had compiled a list of all these things that he had beef with, whether they're people or companies or like the funniest one on there, I think was Peppa Pig, which maybe you know as a father, like <laughs> the weird child cartoon. What's his beef with Peppa Pig? I'm Peppa Pig. Um, his beef was Pitchfork gave a Peppa Pig album 0.5 higher of a score than Donda. And then the Peppa Pig Twitter <laughs> tweeted something funny about it. Um, and so since then, he's had this beef with them. That's and so Donda sucks. <laughs> It'd be an incomplete list, but I would... It's interesting to think of the enemies of surfing we have right now. We've got casinos, we got salmon, we got minerals, uh, like I said, incomplete, but the funny thing about Kanye's list was the variety. Like you'd see like Taylor Swift or like a rapper or whatever, and then you'd see Peppa Pig. And I think if you laid out like a list of enemies to surfing, it'd be really funny. Maybe I'll work on that. Yeah. And you know what you can include on that list is surfers themselves because it's such a, <laughs> it's such a selfish pursuit that we don't want to share <laughs> secret spots. And there's reasons too, you know, like there's two major downsides to keeping a wave secret. And the first is obvious. The local community doesn't get the like the economic benefit um, that all the areas with great waves get. And then the second is the story we're telling now that there's, there's very few people around to fight for them when they're suddenly on the brink of distinction. Do you think there's anyone sitting on a secret spot right now that's, that's watching all this unfold and thinking about releasing it to the world so they can build a, an army of defenders? Maybe. And maybe it's a good way to like, uh, like reveal some spots. You just see like a surf rich coastline and just start saying that there's a big threat to it. You know, maybe that's what you got to do now. Maybe you just say like, oh, this would get some swell in this time of year. And just like, as it's coming into it, just kind of say like, uh-oh, they're coming for the oil there. And then just see, oh, wait, oh, here's a left right here. We got to save this. And you go, yes. That is genius. Stab in the Dark with Jack Robinson, episode two 
is here. I have seen an early version of it. Yeah. Um, and I have to say, I, I don't want to give, I don't think this is like an important thing to give away. So I'm going to give it away right now. Uh, the most jarring shot to me was just Mikey C's shirtless strolling around a snowy graveyard. Um, <laughs> Stepping outside of Stab in the Dark, Mayhem has won seven world titles in the past 10 years, five with Chris Amore and two with Tyler Wright. Taking into account both the men's and women's tours, Mayhem boards have been ridden by 35% of world title winners between 2011 and 2021. That's significantly more than the next highest brand, DHD, which has just 20% of the title wins in that era. And with Carissa's recent win at the Tokyo Olympic Games, Mayhem also holds 50% of surfing's Olympic gold medals. As far as Sharp Eye goes, well, they've never won a world title or an Olympic gold, but in recent years the value of their boards has skyrocketed due to the following factors. 1. Felipe Toledo surfing in general. 2. Taj Burrow picking Sharp Eye as his Stab in the Dark winner. Sharp Eye! Get out of it! And 3. The sheer number of CT surfers that ride Sharp Eye boards, which ranges from 9 to 12 depending on the event. That I did not expect. Uh, that's all I'll give away in terms of storylines. That's in there. But yeah, I did. I did. Well, there's, a, there's, there's actually another character, another shirtless character that pops up that isn't Jack or Mikey uh, in, in some of the later versions that you probably wouldn't have seen yet. Uh, I was in the office today with Dylan Roberts, Shinya Dalby and Sam McIntosh and they're still compiling and tweaking the, the second episode as they as always happens, they get worked on down to the wire. So uh, yeah, there's even more surprises coming for you, Buck. Are you shapers invited to stab in the dark? Here's the rules. No markings, no signatures, no dimensions and no fucking logos. And we actually spoke to Jack today. We did one final interview. Sam and I sat with him for an hour and a half to try and extract some more, uh, some more words. We milked him some more, Buck. Wait, so Jack is in Byron right now? No, no, no. We, we, we um, just like we're doing right now, Buck. We communicated via the World Wide Web. Ah. And okay. and we had a we had a guy on the ground who filmed for us and and now is trying to send us two hundred gigs of footage in a in a desperate rush, right. which is another problem. But yeah, we we had yeah. one last chat with Jack today. Where was he? He's still in Hawaii. He was packing his bags, about to get a COVID test to head to Portugal. Okay, okay. What? Uh, how'd the conversation go? Yeah, it was really good. I mean, Jack actually had a problem with stab in the past and. Not a not a huge problem, but enough that he might not necessarily have worked on a project like this. But we're lucky that Ashton has a really great relationship with with Jack. They've both got Brazilian wives that get along really well and they hang out a lot. So Jack's relationship with with Ashton was was part of the reason Jack wanted to sign on for the project. But at the same time, when you're really good friends with someone and you're interviewing them, there's you're naturally going to let them get away with skimming over the top of some subjects. So we kind of sat with him and, and hammered him until he uh, gave us what we wanted. But it was, it was really good chat. I, I enjoyed it a lot. He's, he's, a, he's an interesting guy. Like he's, he's got a much more unique story than anyone I've known that's grown up with it as a child prodigy like he did. It's pretty crazy that you've had like the whole surf world aware of you and impressed by you since you – before you hit puberty, it's that's a pretty crazy situation to grow up in. Yeah, but it's the only world he's known. So it's 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 funny when you ask him about it. it. He doesn't necessarily. You have to point out to him 
that's not a normal experience. And he, it's not something that he's necessarily reflected on a hell of a lot. Wow. Okay. Well, let's see. Let's get those 200 gigs over to Australia <laughs> in about three weeks and uh, you guys can have fun unpacking it. <laughs> the other thing to talk about is, is the surfing and, and boards getting ditched. And, and, and one thing I was reminded about that when I was watching episode two, I thought about a lot. I've really enjoyed watching Jack surf. There's been something that I couldn't quite put my finger on at first and then I remembered that he said at the start of this project, I don't think it was captured on camera anywhere, but he, he said all boards can fly. So I'm only really interested in seeing how they go in the water, meaning you know, there's no point in trying to do airs on these things, even though he, he smacks the odd end section. Like the majority of, of his surfing is done uh, tearing apart the face and, and that, that to me is... I mean, I know you're an air guy, Buck, so you probably won't relate to this, but like there's something so refreshing about seeing just a shitload of just carving and turns. The all boards can fly comment is fascinating to me because I've definitely had some boards in my day where I'm like, this thing is not flying. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure, let, let's put them in the next east and see if everything can fly. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> I do... I'm watching the early version of the second episode. It, you know, the first episode is so you have to introduce the project and the surfer, and it's just you're kind of getting into it's a bit of an introduction. Obviously, we ditched some amazing boards already, but episode two was. It got to this point where I feel like in every stab in the dark, I'm learning something about surfboards and I'm thinking about them differently. And episode two is when that sort of stuff really started coming out like the way he talked about different board brands and what he thinks they do and why they do that um i was fascinated by i was like taking notes like oh yeah i'm gonna think about this i'm gonna try to get a board like this i'm gonna look at this board this way like it it started hitting that groove where i started to obsess about my boards or the boards i don't have and want um which does like i said every sound in the dark does that to me and i just i love it it makes me just want more boards i need some you can't help but start wanting to obsess over boards and and get new boards when you watch these films and one of the things that blows me away is, is jack's written a lot of boards in the last 18 months he's really he's really branched out and and started working with a bunch of different shapers to experiment and develop his surfing and the board recall he has there's even that point in at, at first when he's doing the board reveal where he picks up a, a js or what he thinks is a js it's actually a darren hanley and he smells it and he goes, I know exactly what how JS's smell. I, I remember that smell. Guys, I've had a JS, I know that smell. Seriously. Yeah. And he's confident that that he can, you know, he's he's focused. He's, I mean, that's how memory works when you when you have a lot of emphasis and, and emotion and and you really care about things. I mean, I guess they are super related to his livelihood, so it makes sense. But just his recall for boards, how he can pick them up and, and surf them and talk about them even years later with such like pinpoint accuracy kind of freaks me out buck well i think maybe we just need to start smelling our surfboards maybe that's it like you said it's like the kind of key that unlocks it that really makes you understand at that deeper level i'm gonna start smelling mine remember that surf scene from a few weeks weeks ago where the guy waxed his board up to the nose maybe that was smell related because i mean wax smells pretty good it does when you're paddling around i think uh historically in surfing there's been a lot of people smelling things to try to uh, activate more energy, etc., to perform at their best. <laughs> Who the hell is Simon Rex and what does he have to do with surfing? That's the title of the story. 
But I also want to ask that question to you, Danny. Do you know who the hell Simon Rex is or what he has to do with surfing? Yeah, I know who he is, but barely. The Snap films didn't really pop off in Australia like they did in the States. And when Snap 4 came out, everyone was like, oh, my God, Snap 4. And, and this Logan character and then this guy and everyone, the, you know, in this new globalized world, we were obviously across it. But I turned to a bunch of my friends and people that worked in the stab office, like, did you ever see Snapped movies? And they all said no. So I don't even know if they were released here. So I'm only slightly aware, Buck. Okay. Well, I, I don't think he was around in the first few. Oh. Like I, I think it was like Snap 1 and 2. I don't remember seeing him. Uh, if my memory served me correctly, he may have been, uh, he may have been an adult film actor at that time. Um, I think just solo scenes, this Simon Rex character. So I think he was too busy doing that to uh, star in Snap Wait, is two. that real? He actually did that? That's what some sites say. This article doesn't go into it because it just is more focused on where he's at right now because he's, uh, unfortunately, he didn't get nominated for an Academy Award, but there was a lot of talk about it. Like even Variety, which I guess is like a go-to source there, wrote an opinion piece saying that him and the director of this new movie, Red Rocket, should have been nominated, but they knew it would be a risk for the Academy. And they're like, come on, you can do it. Like, you don't have to be so predictable. Like, this is a really good movie and it's worthy. Like, you don't have to just take the the easy route, like get something more exciting and new in there. Um, but then the Academy said, fuck that and didn't do it. But still, he, he went from like this guy who was, uh, you know, maybe doing some adult film stuff to... He was in that like weird rap group with Mickey Avalon. All oh, um, right, I didn't know that. He, yeah, he went by the name Dirt Nasty. Hmm. We can, uh, if you want to hear some Dirt Nasty, I can send you a, a clip we could put into here because it's it's interesting, to say the least. It yeah, was, I'll slip. I'll slip some in. I'm like yo, man. What 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 what? I rolled in straight from Oakland, holding my dick like a U.S. Open trophy. What up to high feet? Y'all don't know me. Dirt nasty, ass cheeks, spread wide, G string to the side. One drink, Cavassier, two drink, box straight. Yeah, it was one of those things where it was like parody, but maybe some people didn't get that it was parody, I think. But it kind of blew up over here over a decade ago, and he was like this admittedly like D list celebrity, but was just kind of hanging with Hollywood people. Like, never had an ego about it, but like, Still, I think, was like dating Paris Hilton for a bit when she was kind of at her prime and, and all the shows and everything. And so he's got this interesting, like crazy, crazy backstory. And like I said, now he's in this big movie that like there's talk of it potentially being nominated for an award. And he just does these snap scenes. And it was like, finally, we had a piece written by Morgan Williamson that that explains all this because I kind of knew a little bit like I knew the... I knew the dirt nasty rap thing and I kind of knew, I just had no idea that like, it was so surprising when I heard that he was in like an actual proper Hollywood movie and that people were like blown away by his performance. Cause he just, he's in these snap movies. Even when we did stab high in Costa Rica, he was just hanging around the house a bit. It was just like the friendliest, funniest dude. And I had no idea that he's like, yeah, movie star. Is he a movie star though? Previous to this and he's, I mean, not including his solo porn scenes 
Or is this his big break? Mikey, welcome back, dude. I'm on top of my game right now on like every single possible level. Physical stamina, my mind is sharp. I'm taking 5-HTP for serotonin in my brain. Yeah. Dude, with my skill and ability, there's no denying what I can do. The universe is on my side, bro. Before long, it'll be like we're still married. We are still married. The way that Hollywood sites talk about this is him like a career defining moment. Like he was in like scary movie or something, but like a real silly, just dumb movie and whatever. And I think he had a few other roles like that over the years. So he's like in these movies, but like never this. And then this Red Rocket movie is like a more serious role. It is actually about a porn star trying to essentially make a comeback. Uh, but it's not like a stupid comedy. There's points where you laugh, but it's like oh, you've seen dramatic it? and it gets you. Yeah, it's out. Oh, I didn't know it was out. I just, I saw, when I saw this article, I saw that it was A24, the production company that made it. And they're the sort of people you can trust wholeheartedly with anything they do. So I was like, oh, I'm going to watch that for sure. But I didn't realize it was out. So we're only just covering it now. Buck, it's normally, you normally get the scoop and you're onto things so ahead of time, but it's already out. Well, I was waiting to to see if he'd get nominated because I thought that would be the best time to release it. You've just been sitting um, there refreshing Medina's Instagram profile. The you, whole time, you yeah. You could have been getting this scoop. Yeah, well, I was waiting for the Academy. You know, that's what we do. Danny, sometimes you have to wait for the Academy, make the selections, and because I thought that would really add another layer to the story. But still, it's a it's a really interesting profile of somebody that, like, yeah, there's no need that, like, especially now that he's done this massive film that is getting great reviews, like, no need for him to, like, shoot intros for a surf film, you know? <laughs> he's not that doing that. YouTube. He's not doing that because uh, he thinks it's going to benefit his career, though, is he? No, he's doing it just to be, because he's funny and he likes it and he likes hanging with the whole crew. Like, the, the story talks about how he just likes hanging with surfers. Like, he doesn't surf himself, but he, he's been on a bunch of trips with people over the years and... He just likes being around that that vibe and he just thinks it's refreshing coming from like a super Hollywood ego-driven thing just to hang out with people that just want to kind of cruise and have fun. So That's like Bill Murray when he went to G-Land. And then they said, we're going to go. I'm going to take you to G-Land. You know, that kind of shit. Like, I don't know what the <laughs> hell. What does that mean? So then we went to G-Land. Yeah, yeah. He's the new Bill Murray at G-Land, which I need to get Bill Murray back at G-Land or at least Simon Rex, but... Yeah. That's uh that's on you, Eric Logan. <laughs> What's next for Simon Rex? Who knows? I mean, you'd have to think that people would have seen this movie and seen what he's capable of acting wise to be like, Oh shit, maybe we don't need to just use this guy as like a weird little funny man. We could put him in some different roles. So it'd be crazy if it just his acting career really starts to ramp up now. We'll see. If not, Snap five. <laughs> All right, Danny. All right, listeners. It is time for the surf sin. This is an interesting story. This, I was worried about where it was going for a little bit, which we'll get into after we hear it. But there was a moment when I was terrified about what I was listening to. and I thought I was dealing with a real sociopath. Oh, that was my exact reaction. I still do think I still do think that. Okay, okay. Well, let's 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 give it a listen. Listen to it with open ears, open minds, and you know we'll we'll first try to figure out whether or not this guy is a sociopath. All right, this one is from Juju. 
which could be a fake name, could be a real name, but he doesn't sound as exotic as his name sounds. G'day Danny Johnson, g'day Buck. Just got a surf in for you guys. Um, this surf in's a little bit different to most that you guys had in the past. This one is, uh, it's selfish, however, it doesn't really, it doesn't give me any great reward at the end of it. Um, such as like getting extra waves or just having a greater surfing experience. Um, this one's more more sickening in the way that it is. I I realise I find amusement and maybe even pleasure in watching the suffering of other surfers. Um, basically, what I do is when there's a big swell, uh, just like the one we had last week, Cyclone Seth brought into um, the Gold Coast is I will, when everyone's paddling out at Snapper and um, they're all waiting for a break in the waves, a good time to paddle out, I'll, I'll get myself to the front of the pack of everyone waiting and instead of paddling out when they're at the best timing, I will jump on my board with enough confidence and blasé that everyone feels they need to follow me um, just as the biggest set of the day comes or just as there's not a single break in the waves, the worst possible timing. And I'll, yeah, I find amusement in watching everyone for the next 25 minutes paddle against the waves and get swept all the way down to Greenmount. Um, just having the worst possible time. Like, although I may have to follow them in this big paddle, um, some somehow it it balances out, and I I enjoy this experience of watching everyone else suffering paddling. Um, I think the other day, even at the end of it, when we got down to the beach after not making it out, I said to this one guy, I was like, "Oh, bit a bit of bad bad timing on that one, hey?" And he he didn't even say anything. He I think he knew. I think he was onto me. Um, so yeah, I gotta I gotta stop this before it gets out of hand. Give me give me my penance. I need to I need to stop this. Yeah, Buck. I can easily imagine that being played played in a courtroom one day. That was that's how when it was when it started going. That's what I felt, and I thought that when he was playing it up, saying okay, when the waves are big and people are trying to paddle out. I thought that he was going to say that he doesn't actually paddle out. I thought he was going to say he just stands on the beach and watches. And I think there's nothing worse than somebody who uses people getting lit up paddling as an excuse to not paddle out. Like on a big day, you're like, oh, look at that guy. He's, he's been trying for 10 minutes to get out. Like he, not stupid out there, even though it's like firing once you actually make it out the back. And I thought he was going to go there and I was just going to be disgusted. And so I was happy to hear that he was leading the pack. Um, where do I really land on him being a sociopath or not? I'm going to say no, because we all like to have these funny little games that you play in your head. And if you're going to know you're going to get kind of lit up, then you might as well have a little game in your head that makes it more tolerable. So I'm going no, not a sociopath, but I'd love to hear your take. The traits of a sociopath are antisocial behavior and torturing animals, manipulation, asserting power, all the things pretty much fit the bill. It just had the air of air of a sociopath, you know. I was just like, is this 
It reminded me of Ted Bundy or one of the other true crime documentaries I've seen. In, in saying all that, I love him and it actually might be my favorite surf scene yet. One thing that I love about it, and it is one of my favorites too, just because it is such a bizarre one. It is just, as we said, it's on that level of like, oh, you might be a little bit sociopathic. Um, what I love about it too is it actually made me learn how to pronounce that German word that means taking pleasure out of watching other people suffer. Um, you know that it's it's pronounced Schadenfreude. Uh-huh. I had always seen that word and never knew. I knew what it meant, but just never bothered to figure out the pronunciation. It's just too many weird things there. And I was like, okay, I know that. I, in my head, it would have said like fraud or something. And then today I was like, I have to say it out loud for this. So I need to figure it out. And it's Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. All right. We're all learning. We're all learning something today, Buck. Yeah. So if you've ever seen that word, didn't know how to pronounce it, there it is, at least according to Google Translate. Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude in English, in German, it would be something along the lines of Schadenfreude. And so, yeah, thank you for teaching me how to say that word. And it's a sin. Um, without a doubt, it's a sin. And so, my penance, I'm going to go back to the code of Haramabi. Haramabi, you know, the, the king of the Mesopotamian Empire. Babylon back in the day. Mm -hmm. And so another thing about this sin though is that I feel like, especially when you're out of your comfort zone, like I was thinking about it in Hawaii this year, like when we were, we served YMA one day and, and when you start to see a set coming and the whole lineup starts to move, it's not even like, it, it's just like takes like, it's just like built into us to want to move with a pack, right? Like do what other people are doing. Just like subconsciously, everybody's doing this. Even if you know you got to sit here to get the wave, everybody's moving. If you're not really thinking, you're just going to move with that because everybody around you is doing it. You have to like consciously, I think, hold yourself back because if you're on autopilot, you're going to go. And so I think he's tapping into that here, especially if it's bigger and people are out of their comfort zone. They don't really know when to jump and they see one guy jump and he kind of kicks it off and everybody thinks that's what they're going to do because they're just seeing it happen. They're not thinking about, oh, there might be a set here or this or that. They just see a guy go and they're like, I guess we go now. Um, I think he's tapping into that, but it's definitely a sin to knowingly tap into that. And so my penance, I'm going to go back to the Mesopotamian Empire and the code of Haramabi, uh, eye for an eye. And so my penance for him is that he is going to have to, it's going to be long-term. I don't know where he lives, so I don't know. I guess he said kind of Gold Coast, but he's going to have to be somewhere where there's a rock jump or something of the sort one day. And he'll, he has to be fully uncomfortable with it. Like, you know, there's some ways where like you could tell the locals have it so down, but everybody else pals out from a different spot because they don't want to get smashed into the rocks. One day he will find himself in a spot like this and he has to be fully uncomfortable with that rock jump and he has to go for it anyway. Um, like I said, it could be in the next month, it could be five years from now, but one day that day will come and he's got to do a sketchy, uncomfortable rock jump because he saw somebody else do it. Eye for an eye. <laughs> I like it. I like that. He's just got to keep that in his back pocket and, and use it one day when he, I mean, who wants to do that? You never want to use that, but he'll, he'll have that in the back of his mind and he'll know when it's his time is up. Good he'll penance, know. Buckley. Priest what do you got? Well, 
anyone that would go to that much effort to ruin their own fun just so that they can enjoy other people's misery is it's pretty alarming to me. And yeah, I still do think he's verging on sociopath, but at the same time, part of the reason I love it is just because he's he's teaching everyone a really valuable lesson in that surfing snapper rocks is not fun. And so I like that he's he's almost doing like a public service there and I didn't want to be too hard with the penance. And so my penance buck and to give it this also some some more context, I'm kind of sick of us not getting enough evidence with these with these surf mm. scenes. Teddy came through, iconic Teddy came through with the letter and the resolution, and and we got to see the images from that. But yeah. we're we're yet to see a lot of the proof that these surf scenes are being executed. So I wanted something that we could all enjoy the the listeners and and ourselves of this podcast. So um, and I also wanted something that would hopefully prove to me that he's not a sociopath because. Sociopaths are famous for very little or zero empathy. And so I thought he could complete a surf scene and we wouldn't really know if he, he felt anything or if he was just completely dead inside sitting on a pile of two to 300 dead bodies that are, are mm. going to be discovered one Maybe. day. So I thought what we would do is get him to express himself and express that empathy in some art. And so I want, I want what's his name? I want Juju. I hope that, I almost hope that's not his real name. Should probably should edit it out if it is. Should I? I don't know where we stand on that. We'll have to get the stab lawyers to um, give me some advice. Yeah, there. Our, our whole team of 20 lawyers that we have. <laughs> yeah, anyway, so uh, I wanted to get this surf scene contributor to write a rap expressing their their remorse. And this this rap must be, I mean, it doesn't need to be rapped to us. It can be It can be just a poem essentially emailed. But they need to write a rap expressing their remorse and it has to have at least 10 lines. Is that a fair amount? I think that's a fair amount and that I love that one. It even brings up a memory for me. Um, I think it was in the bonus. It was in like, you know when you used to get DVDs and they had like bonus sections? Um, you'd click on the thing. You can't really do that on a Vimeo or whatever we do, but... You know, you'd have to go to the screen, hit play, or hit like they'd have the option to just like Taylor Steele ones would always have the skits. So it'd be like just surfing those skits if you wanted. And you'd have the bonus that you dig around. It was, I swear, it was in like campaign or campaign two, but it was a boat trip. And you could tell everybody was having some beers and everybody had to write a poem. And I remember Mick's, Mick wrote an incredible poem that roped in anal sex at some point. And, <laughs> uh, I'm going to see if I can dig it up because poetry is is wonderful and it's a great way to kind of get in touch with yourself and meditate on something and and think deeply and reflect. So I think that's a great penance, Danny. Thanks, Buck. I, uh, I do as well. I'm quite happy with it. I look forward to Juju's poem. Thanks, Buck. Thanks to anyone who sent a surf scene in. And if you want to have a surf scene included, read out in the show, all you need to do is record your voice, try and keep it in under two minutes, say, and then send it in to either myself or Buck. Our emails are in the episode description. And oh, don't be friends in. That is also a great option. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Oh, actually, next week, I think Mikey's going to take over because I'll be not here. way out of my way to be very helpful and courteous to that kid he's weak he's incompetent he jeopardizes the whole place there's not much more i can do for him <laughs> <laughs>